right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, welcome to another edition of Club Shay Shay. I am your host, also the proprietor of Club Shay Shay, and the guy that's stopping by for a drink and conversation today is the 1998 Heisman Trophy winner, he also led the NFL in rushing. He was once the NCAA rushing leader. He broke Tony Dorsett record, since been broken. He's a holistic healer, yoga instructor, and a trained astrologer. None other than Ricky Williams. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice. That's why, all my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice. Ricky, how you doing today, bro? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you. So when, when people says, okay, you want a Heisman Trophy winner, you were the first round draft pick, uh, you led the NFL in rushing, and then they get to astrologer, yoga instructor. <laughs> what goes through your mind when you hear all that? <laughs> Well, I get it. I mean, I, I get it. It is it's hard for people to understand and, and, the, and to be like, how do you go from doing something that's, you know, so, so, so masculine? Exactly. To something that's so, you know, woo-woo. And uh, it, it was weird. I, I kind of had to wake up to it myself. And it was soon after I led the NFL in rushing, uh, I started to, to read more and look at certain things and realize this stuff kind of interests me. And it interested me so much that I ended up retiring from the NFL and spending a year really studying and learning about these things. And then when I came back to the NFL, it was really strange because I then had these two parts of myself and I was trying to find a way to make them come together. And it took a long time. You know, at first it was just me sitting in my locker reading books. And then slowly I got more comfortable and I started talking to some of my closest teammates, asking them for their birth information to start looking at their charts. And then I just slowly became more comfortable allowing these two parts of myself to, to, to come together. And it, it's been weird and it's been strange. And I finally feel like I've come to the place where I'm, I'm coming out of this is, this is who I am. You talk, you talk about that. You have a podcast, Curious Questions with Ricky Williams, where you talk about astrology. And your guests, they tell you their birthday, you delve into their astrology. So clearly, you believe in that, that the signs aligning and the astrological... <laughs> You, you, you believe in that? Well, you know, it, it's, you can say it's a belief, but, but most people don't really understand what astrology is. Okay. You know, to me, it's just, it's just a lens. It's just a way to, it's just a, a way, another way to look at things, you know? And, uh, well, let me and ask you a question, me, 
let me ask you a question. So let me, yeah. so let's just say for the sake of argument, uh, my astrological sign, I'm a cancer. And people yeah. say, well, you're a water sign, so that's a crab. So you're hard, hard exterior, you're soft inside, you're tender, you're caring, you're loving. And then yes. people start to believe that. Can you start to believe something that maybe you're not? Of course, of course. It's called it's called the placebo effect. But okay. let me let me give you let me give you an example. Okay. A great example. You you being a cancer. So uh, um, I'm guessing some of those things probably might be true. But, yes. but astrologically, like if I was talking to a cancer, you know, if I was talking to you and you sat with me and you, you gave me money to look at your chart, I would say cancer is really about what you're here to do, what you're here to learn. And so it's the kind of way I look at astrology. It's it's spiritual in this way. And if okay. someone talks to you and they say, you know, you're you're here to learn, you know, cancer is about learning how to like keep your heart open, right? To go through stuff, right? To go through stuff to get beat up, but still learn to keep your heart open. And and so part of this process means you got to learn to know your own heart, okay? And okay. so part of that is if Emily comes in when I think about cancer, because the only way you can truly know your own heart is if you have people around you where you feel comfortable and safe enough that you can share your heart, right? And by sharing with these people, you get a better sense of who you are and it's easier to keep your heart open, right? That, to me, that's the core basis of cancer. And if I'm talking to a cancer and they're like, that makes sense to me, right? Then it's useful. If they say, you know, that doesn't make sense for me, then it's not useful to them. And, right. and that's the way, that's the way. It's just a lens to look at things through. So you're trying to get them to, to look within themselves, find something that you're saying that's going to be useful, that's going to be beneficial, that they can go back out and use it to the best of their ability. Hey, that's, that's, exact, that's exactly what I'm doing. And so what I'm doing with, with the podcast is, is I bring people on and I look at their chart and I look, because in, in everyone's chart, there's something interesting or unique that kind of jumps out at me. And so I try to ask them questions, not necessarily telling them what I'm looking at, but just asking questions to see if I can get to that thing that I see. And very often, sometimes it's a question I don't even think is going to get there, but I ask the question and the words that come out of their mouth are almost verbatim as the words you would read in an astrology book about this person's sign. Right. And so I, I call it people speak their chart, you know? Okay. And, and so astrology helps us tune into into it's not mythology but it is kind of like mythology right like for us right is there there's a, a there's a, a mythology about a warrior right how do warriors act, how we how we right challenges come we don't back down we come up and we meet the challenges right also part of the warrior especially if you think of military and football is we got to come together as a team to accomplish this one goal and we have right. to be tough and trust each other right and so this is a, a, a myth, right? And as we put on the football helmet or we decided as kids that we're going to be athletes, we entered into that myth, okay? And so astrology can give you a, a sense of how to interact with the myths that you've entered into and how to be more conscious in them. So an example is like the warrior myth. The old warrior myth is that we can't be sensitive, right? We have to yeah. hide our feelings. We have to be tough, right? But as right. warriors, as embodying this, if we realize actually that doesn't work that we can be a sensitive warrior right that's a new that's a new myth and astrology can help tune you into the myths that you're unconsciously living out and so you can be more conscious and, and live them out in more in more uh, empowering ways so in order to for a person to get the true meaning the true understanding of their his or her astrological uh reading they have to come in with an open mind 
Of they course. Can't, they can't be, they can't be like, man, this is a bull job. I'm just doing it just cause. But you have to be open-minded. You have to be will, have a, a willingness. Well, to a certain extent, to, I think to get the most out of it, yes. To get the most out of anything, you have to have an open mind. Right. But I'm telling you, people that come in that are skeptical and the way that I, I, I explain it to them and, and approach it, every single person, they walk, they walk and their minds are expanded. They have a different way to, to look at things. And so to me, whether someone's a skeptic or not, it, it doesn't matter to me. It's an interesting conversation that, that provides a different way to look at things that can be useful, very useful. At least it, it has been in my life. Okay, and and also the, the yoga side. So how do, do they merge? Because, uh, because obviously yoga is a very peaceful, you're trying to get in, you're trying to get in tune and in step with yourself, your body, you're one. Yeah, so they're, they're very much related. And, and the thing about astrology is, is when people say astrology, most people are saying something completely they're different. They might be related because they're related to the stars, but truly astrology is like a language. And so depending on who the person is and how they're looking at it, they're going to use astrology differently. Okay. I'm a spiritual person. So I'm always looking for how to connect the dots in life, right? To me, where I find peace in yoga is how to, how to understand the big picture. And so growing up, I grew up Christian and I, I, I'm telling you as a kid, my favorite thing to do in the world was Sunday school. I love to hear the stories about Jesus because, again, religion gives us a way to try to understand the world. But, you know, I got 16 and then they said, you got to wait, married to have sex. And I was like, I need to find me a different religion. And so, <laughs> and so, and so, and so, and so I let go. But, but, you know, when I found yoga, it was like coming home, you know, a, a more expansive way to understand how everything works. And then I found astrology from my yoga teacher. And I was like, wow, this is something I can actually work with. This gives me a way to look at the world where I can see how things are connected, how things make sense. You are a big uh, uh, cannabis advocate. So which came first? Was it cannabis helping you get to where you are now? Or was it that you started doing this and like to, to reach that inner self to where you found calm, where you found the peace? Yeah, well, I think the ultimate goal for me was to find some kind of peace. And I found peace in cannabis. And okay. in that peace, my mind started to expand and I started to look at the at the bigger picture. And so my my relationship with cannabis over the years has definitely evolved the same way the relationship with our, our country's relationship with cannabis ha has evolved. Correct. And I just think I just was fortunate enough to be kind of on the, the, the leading edge of that. Right. And so as an, as an advocate, it's from my own personal experiences. I've used cannabis in, in ways that enhance, have enhanced my life. And I've also used it in ways that have got me in trouble. And so I've learned from those experiences. And I think I have something meaningful to say about it. I think the thing is, Ricky, is that you have a very unique perspective is that it's, it seems to me, I mean, there are some people that smoke and they just smoke just to smoke. But it, you strike me as a guy that not only did you smoke, but you tried to learn the origin and, and, and the different strands and, 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 and what effect that it has on the body. Okay. Which one is going to give me to that place that where I'm calm and that I can do something meaningful in society that can help my brother and can, that can help my fellow man. And then, so what was that process like? Yeah, that's a great question. So it, it really started with this big question. You know, I found myself, um, you know, I, I failed another drug test. And instead of like going through all the stuff, I called up Dr. Brown, called up the NFL and said, <laughs> don't worry about me. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't worry about me. I'm good. You know, 
And, and so I, I started traveling around the world a little bit. And, and I had this question of, okay, I, I kind of just gave up everything that I've ever worked for, you know, and it's connected to this plant. So is it true what everyone's saying that I'm just a pothead and a loser and I'm throwing everything away? Or is there something else going on here? And, you know, me being a loser, like that didn't feel good. And so I went the other direction and I said, <laughs> I'm going to learn as much as I can about what's right. really going on here. So you travel around the world. So obviously you probably tried cannabis in, in each different country or location. You know what? I'm telling you, you are a true cancer. The sensitivity, because the things that I'm about to say, you're already, you're already asking the question. So I said, that's, that was the crazy part of it is I started traveling around the world and going places where nobody had any idea who I was, right? right. And everywhere I'd go, I'd end up and somebody, some nice, kind person would come up to me and offer me to smoke something. Like I, I, I call it the weed fair. Cause I, I mean, I'd be in this, I was on a bus in Fiji and this dude, this Indian dude walked to the back and he sits down and he offers me some rice. And then we start talking and he's like, Hey, do you want to, you know, my uncle has some plants. Do you want to go smoking and, and like, you know, break bread together. And I was like, sure. And I was in Samoa. Same thing happened. I was in Australia. The same thing happened. So I started to be like, you're very trusting Ricky. There's something, Hey, I, 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 I am, <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. There's something going on here. And, and so I, I just followed that scent. So when you, how old were you when you first started smoking marijuana? So the first time I smoked, it was, I was a junior in, uh, in high school. And I grew up in San Diego. So it was around. And yeah, yeah, so yeah, I was, yeah. I was a jock though. So it was like a one-time experience and I didn't like it. And so I didn't really, I didn't really mess with it. And then I got to college and my, my college roommate, he, he smoked. And so sometimes on Fridays, the guys would come around and they would pass it around and I would just do it to be social, but you know, I, I wasn't really into it. And then it was my senior year. Um, it's funny. One thing about my senior year, we played a lot of Madden. And my, I played with the Broncos. So you were, it's, you were inspiration. You were inspiration to me that year. That I won the Heisman. So, 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 so yeah, I was, was running for the Heisman. And, and I, I, my girlfriend, my girl for two years. Okay. We, we uh, broke up. And it's like right after we broke up, uh, I went to her, I went to her house to bring her stuff back and the, the quarterback on the football team's car was parked. Uh-oh. <laughs> that was part of you smoking for real. <laughs> for real, for real. Your team had to backdoor you. He was handing the ball <laughs> to you in the front and then stealing you, tackling you from the back. Oh my God, it rascal. That, that's, that's how it started. And, and, and I, I was like obsessing about this. And my, my, my friend was like, dude, you got to chill. And so he just brought it out. He said, you got to hit this. And I did, and it was the first time where I was like, okay, I wasn't obsessed and I wasn't thinking about it. I could sleep and relax. And from that moment, I noticed, okay, this, this can be helpful to me. So when you failed your first, so did they not test in college or did you never fail a test in college or did they keep that hush hush? So again, this, this, was, this was way in my senior year. And it was just that one experience where I realized, oh, okay, like this is nice, but I didn't become a smoker then. It was just right. that when I had that first experience, and, and, you know, they weren't going to test me. I was running, they you know, so they were, but I wasn't smoking anyway. Um, right. And then I got into the NFL and, and again, I, I kind of smoked on and off, but I wasn't a smoker. So it was easy to pass right. the drug test. What, right. what got me was when I was in New Orleans, they always tested us during um, training camp. Right. And then when I got traded to Miami, they tested in OTAs and nobody, I guess nobody knew I smoked. So nobody told, like passed the message to me. And so, you know, I, I went in that morning and they were like, we're drug testing. I was like, damn. And so then I got into the program, but really I wasn't even a smoker. Really. 
You know, right. I just would smoke occasionally. Mm -hmm. But then I got in the program and it, be and it became like this big issue. And then I started to realize that, uh, that cannabis actually helped me, you know? Because it, it was like when I was there and I could use it, I didn't realize it, but when it was taken away, I started to realize, wow, this was really doing something to, to, to help me deal with all the stress and take care of my body. And so, although I was being tested, you know, I found a way that I could take like two hits the day after I got tested and I would be clean for the next test. And this right. worked for like a year and a half, but then we were playing, uh, we were playing the Eagles on Monday night. And, uh, and it was like the game that I limited, eliminated us from the playoffs and I separated my shoulder and I just was in a bad spot. So I think I took a little bit too many hits. So you took night. too, too many. I took too, too many. Dude called me in the morning, dude called me in the morning and, and he, and he pissed test me and then it came back. And then, so that was number two and number two failed test. I was like, I was a month away from being out of the program, but number two failed test. They, um, they, they fine you for four seventeenths of your salary. And, right. and, and so because of that, they have to tell the team to take it out of your check. So then the team knows. Right. Right. And so then I went into the office and they were like, whatever. And I was like, fine. And so it was like, okay. And then I appealed the test because the A bottle was like 0.157. The B bottle was underneath. So I felt like I had a case that I barely failed the test. That one too many hit. I barely failed the test. <laughs> and so, and so they, they came back and they said, okay, if you agree to stay in the program for eight weeks of the season, then we'll, we, you're, you're free. Right. And That's so I said, oh, That's two months, Rick. You got two months. No hit. <laughs> not two, not one. Just eight weeks, cold turkey. You out the program completely. You can smoke much as you want. Yes. Yes. It was, I was right, right in front of me. And, and at the same time, I started thinking about, is this really what I want to be doing with my life? You know, uh, as I started, I started, I started reading, I started opening my mind and realizing, you know, if I stay doing this for the rest of my life, am I going to have the time and the energy to be able to have the experiences that I want to have? And then I started thinking about, it. I got enough money that I could live comfortably for the rest of my life. And then I started thinking, why am I even doing this? And so then I, I had to make a decision. Right. I had to make a decision. And the decision I made is, and again, when I made this decision, I, in my, in the, my heart of hearts, I truly believe I was never coming back, not coming back to the NFL, not even coming back to America. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was on one. All right. I'm not going to lie, but, but I, I needed that, you know, I, right. I needed that. I needed that. And, and, and thank goodness. Right. And it's, it's so interesting how it all comes full circle. Okay. Cause you know, I was out in Australia, you know, everyone in my mind, everyone had thought I lost my mind, but my, my own personal path was I was reconnecting to my spiritual roots. As I was traveling, I felt this deep connection to Jesus Christ. And I literally, I wasn't really a huge reader, but at this point in my life, I was trying to read everything I could about Jesus. And, and, and I ended up, you know, reading the Gospels. And I came across a verse in Matthew, and, it, and it, it changed everything for me, right? The verse was, if you give up home, family, you know, if you give up everything and come looking for me, it will all be returned to you. And I found solace in that. I found solace in that. And, and it came true. I was able, after that year away, to find myself. I was able to come back reintegrate into the Dolphins, have another thousand yard season, finish my career with 10,000 yards rushing. And I, I feel like I, I was able to, to make, to make it all work, you know, to turn something that could have turned into a crash and burn story to turn it into an uplifting story. R Ricky, do you believe you said you started smoking? What really, really got you on the path to smoking continuous was the situation with your girlfriend. Do you believe she broke up because uh, she was seeing the other guy? or you guys wanted to separate and then it bothered you because it was a teammate. 
Because I don't know, would you have started smoking if the guy was on the basketball team or the baseball team or just a regular Joe Smoke walking campus? It was no, it was it was a lot. It was a lot. So so when I was in um when I was in college, I used to play I played minor league baseball. Correct. And so and so at the end of at the end of finals in May, I take my last final, I get in my car, I drive to Florida and just start playing baseball, and then I come back in August. Right. And so like the day before, the day before I left, um <laughs> Crazy college though. Day before I left, like me and my girl, we got into an argument, you know, and it was just, it just, we like, we're like, okay, let's, let's break up. You got into an argument so, for a reason. She started it, Ricky. <laughs> this, this actually, it was mostly my fault, but this time it actually was, it was her. But anyway, yeah. so we got, we got into an argument, and then I was like, all right, and then, and then I went to Florida. But after a week, I was like, yeah, I miss her. And so we started talking and started kind of like working on the relationship. And at the time. Her and the quarterback were friends, and I knew they hung out and they were hanging out. And I was whoa, like, oh, whoa, 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 hold on, timeout, timeout. That's what let me get a timeout. Full. I'm gonna take a full timeout, not a 20 second. I need a full timeout. You mean <laughs> to tell me it. you got a girlfriend and you allow her to hang out with guys? She talking about, oh, that's my friend. Well, because we all hung out together before. So it, 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. We, we, but ain't no we. Ain't no once I leave, he can still hang out. Oh, hell no. Okay, you, I, I, learned, I learned. You must have I been smoking the then, Rick. I, 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 I learned the hard way. I, like you said, I'm too trusted. You said yeah. I'm too trusted. I'm too trusted. And so it's funny. So I came back, you know, and we, we worked it out. And so I came back and she, I was driving back from New York to come back to training camp. She met me in, in Tennessee you know, in, in Nashville, and we drove the rest of the way back, and we decided, okay, we're going to work on this. And as we're starting to, like, go through, she's, like, spending a lot of time with dudes, like, shooting pool, and, and and I'm thinking, okay, it feels kind of strange, but... Yeah, yeah, still, but Yeah, but they're friends, and so, and then it was, we played, we played UCLA, it was the second game of the year, and it was the day after, I was sitting in the hot tub, and, somebody, and, and somehow my girlfriend's name came up, and somebody was like, that's not Ricky's girl. That's Blah Blah's girl. And I was like, wait, 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 wait a minute. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ooh. And I, so I popped. I popped out of the hot tub and I went back. And we had payphone. We did the payphone in the in the trade in the facility. And I, I picked up and I called her and I and I told her what I just heard. And she had that pause. You know when they pause. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got her. You got her. You got her. You got her. Because she's thinking. She paused. She's thinking of a lot of tell you. Because she could have just came. I said, no, no, that's not true. She paused. Cause yeah, you called and I knew. Rick, that one. So hurt. I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew. And then I was like, okay. And I just, you know, and then I it just, it got bad. And like you said, and then it was the crazy part in, in the in the UCLA game, the starting quarterback was my was my homie. He he hurt himself, and then the backup quarterback who who's still married, they're still married, and it, it's a happy oh, story. Oh, okay, they, well, they, you can't be mad about that, Rick, because they got married. Right, that's was, what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That that's why. But at the time, I didn't know that. Now that's why. Yeah. I mean, you still should have with it now. <laughs> one time, one time I lost my temper. One time I lost my temper in practice. One time. You, you fired, I, I kept it together. You fired, you fired, on, it. You fired on it, didn't you? <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, I just, I just, he, you know, he caught like an audible or something wrong and I just threw the ball at his helmet real hard from up close. But <laughs> I, I lost my coup. I lost my coup for that one moment. Uh, but the, the thing is, look, okay, maybe they were meant to be together. But y'all not meant to be together while we together. Y'all can't be working on that behind me. Y'all exactly. That, that, that's all I'm trying to say. That's all yeah. I'm trying to say. I'm a, I'm a senior. I'm about to go. Just wait till I leave. You got, you know. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> so, but I can understand that. See, I can understand what started you on that path. Because, you know, probably up until then, Rick, you probably smoking that mild strain. 
probably like on, a, on a scale of 10, probably a three or four. But once, once that happened, you probably went to that heavy stuff like nine. I'm telling you, I wasn't even smoking before then. I just was like, just natural good. Everything was good. Everything was good. After that, you know, I, it wasn't so good no more. So I had, to, I had to find my balance. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Okay, you win the Heisman. You break uh, Tony Dorsett's on hand. You rush for the rep. You, uh, you break the record. You win the Heisman. You're a first-round draft pick. Uh, Mike Dicker, who's the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, trades an entire draft to draft Ricky Williams. And you do something that's, that was very unique and surprised a lot of people. You hired a guy to represent you that had never represented an NFL player. Now, this is not a shot at Master P because he's done a great job in the record industry. He's done a great job since of building his brand. But what made you sign with a guy that had never represented someone in this field. Yeah, so so like I said, I played minor league baseball. And yep. so I had a, a baseball agent that I liked. And so I just figured as I went into football, I just would keep the same agent. And so right. it was easy for me to tell all the agents, you know, to, to stay away, but um, or the runners to stay away. But Master P had a runner, this dude named Terry. And Terry was just cool, you know? And me and Terry, we just would kick it. And we could talk, and he was more, right. the one person I could be real with. But I didn't think it would turn to anything because I already had an agent. Well, something fell apart in that agency and they and they fell apart. So then I was like in need of an agent. And so I started talking to different agents and it just felt like slimy. And so in my mind, I thought, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm gonna be a top, you know, five. Well, I was thinking I'm gonna be a top three, but anyways, I think I'm gonna be a top three pick and that, you know, I can be creative with this contract and do it the way that I want to do it. And then I could do it in partnership with, with P's company, No Limit Sports. And the bigger thing was, was really just to make a statement, you know, that we don't have to do it the same way that, that you can do it different ways. Right. Okay? And so, and so when I started working with the, um, the agent, uh, Leland, Leland Hardy, we started working on the contract negotiations. It got down to the point where he laid out three, three options for me. He said, this option will make you the, you know, the highest paid uh, rookie contract in the history of the NFL. This one um, will, will, you know, will give you a big signing bonus, but we'll, you know, we can put incentives in for you to become the highest paid player. And then the middle one is kind of a, is in between where you, you get a big chunk of guaranteed money, but we have some more mild incentives. And I said, and this is all on me, I said to trust it. I said, I want the one where I get the signing bonus for what I've done before, but I want to have to earn, um, I'm going to have to earn the rest. And what we you did, did is we modeled, by winning the Heisman Trophy and being the all-time NCAA rushing champ, you earned that signing bonus and whatever else. But see, and that's where the agent supposed to come in and work in your best interest. Ricky, I cannot in good faith allow you to sign this contract because X, Y, and Z might happen, and then you won't reach these incentives. Also, he did, he did, he did say that. He did say that, but but I, I'm it's my it's my bonehead, and I acknowledge it. The one you said it. The one thing that I didn't see, that I didn't realize, is what if I get hurt and I can't play? And, and that's and the first preseason game. 
first preseason game, high ankle sprain. It, 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 it happens yeah. quickly. Yeah. And plus, also, what you learn from playing in the NFL, they also can control whether or not you get those incentives. So instead of Ricky getting his 25, 30 carries, all of a sudden they give Ricky 15, 10 carries. Instead of Ricky it, playing. It happened. It happened. It happened. It happened. It had, I mean, my my second, my second, my third year in New Orleans, I was leading the NFC in rushing. We got towards the end of the season. We didn't make the playoffs. They started playing deuce more. They started playing deuce more. Mm -hmm. so, so this is going on. So were you smoking in New Orleans? I, not, the, not, my, uh, not my rookie year. I started smoking in my second year after I broke my ankle. You know, it was, yeah. it was one of those things where my rookie year, again, I missed six, I missed four games my rookie year, and and I played hurt pretty much every game but two, and so it, it, I, I underperformed obviously, and so that was the first time in my life that I ever underperformed on the, on the football field, and, and so when I came back that next year, Dicka was fired, a new coach who didn't like me because I was tied to Dicka, but I was out to prove myself, and I did, you know, I got to week ten on my thousandth yard, week ten, my thousandth yard broke my ankle, in in uh. Started, that's when I started smoking again, you know, dealing, dealing with like, damn, dealing with the, like, you I, I, finally, I, I finally was, I was, yeah, I was finally making, I was finally making it back. And then, and then this, you know, and, and part of it, it, it got me thinking, okay, like if there's gotta be something more to life than just this up and down writing on whether my su success on the football field defines my happiness. And to me, I had to find something, something else to define myself by. Had you been allowed to smoke? Do you believe your NFL career would have been more productive? That now you had a great career. I mean, ten thousand yards is nothing to sneeze at. But do you believe you would have had even a more productive career had you been allowed to smoke? Of course, no doubt about it. Because so much, you know, after two thousand two, I left the NFL and I came back. So much of the story around me was it just was this heaviness and this you know the stigma around me and, and failing that test and leaving. And I think it just it wasn't all that heaviness around my around my career, that it was just a cleared space that I could do what I do and, and, and run the football. And whenever there, you know, there, there were those times where there was that space, I showed up, you know, I, I put up numbers. Let me ask you about the, the helmet situation, because you did a lot of your interviews with your helmet on. Were you always like this or was it the expectations of someone gave up their entire draft and the expectations of you supposing to be one of these historically great NFL running backs? Because what did you always do interviews at the University of Texas with your helmet on? That was I just, know, I, I, go ahead. I never, I never did it. So the way it started is, you know, so my first preseason game, we go to Miami, I get a, I get an ankle sprain, and then I'm already like feeling like, damn, you know, this is not a great way to start. Right. And the media, the media just, you know, I remember one day it was we were in the training camp and it was raining, and and they put me on a golf cart to take me to like this covered area to do an interview. And as soon as I sat down to do the interview, the media dude was like, take your helmet off. And I was like, dude, I just sat down. So that started off as kind of an act of rebellion. Of, right. you, don't get to tell, you don't get to tell me what to do. Right. And then it kind of turned into something that actually felt comfortable, kind of like, a, you know, my, my humble way of saying, fuck you to the media. And, <laughs> you know, because to me, and this is my sensitivity, to me, you know, it's like, you guys expect me to be this this image of what a, a, a this football player is, but you don't even care who I am on the inside. And so right. you say, take the helmet off. You don't really care who's under the helmet. You just care who's in the pads and all. So it just was a, it was an act of rebellion. So once you did that, you just kept it on and said, well, F you, I'm going to keep, I'm going to do my, all my interviews from moving forward with my helmet on. 
Yeah, I didn't do all of them, but all the all the ones during the week, I would take my helmet off on Sundays for the post game interview. Right. <laughs> so you grow up in San Diego. You play football, obviously. You play baseball. Were there any sports, any other sports that you played? And did you always want to be an NFL player? I wrestled a little bit in uh, in high school, and I lo I loved it. I love wrestling. Uh, I ran track a little bit um, when we didn't make the playoffs one year in baseball, and I ran track. But um, when I was growing up, I was seven years old in San Diego, listening to the San Diego Padres on the radio. So I was a big, big, big baseball fan. Big Tony, Tony Gwynn was the king. Yeah, he was, and so I, I wanted to be the right hand of Tony Gwynn. So I wanted to. I thought. I thought all the way until draft day, until the NFL Combine. Actually, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. But I went to the combine and NFL teams were like, uh-uh. And I was like, all right. And so I, I and I was better at football, to be honest. So I, I, I stuck with football. So they gave you, they, basically NFL team says, uh, nah, you either playing football or you playing baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I was I, like, okay, if I was smart, I'm, I'm going to stick with football right now. But have you, had they given you a, a choice, an opportunity says, okay, you could, do you feel you could have been a Bo Jackson? You could have been a Deion Sanders, played both sports? Um, I mean, I had a, I had a lot of improvement to make in baseball, but I, I would have loved to have, you know, taken a, taken a shot. And, and because at the time, the owner of the Texas Rangers uh, was a UT alum and the UT donor, he, uh, he put me on the, the, the pro roster for training camp with the, with the Texas Rangers. So I was going to get my shot. Right. I was going to at least get a shot, um, but I decided to, to stick with football. You were drafted in the eighth round by the Phillies out of high school. You got a $70,000 signing bonus. Did you think about not even going to college, not even playing? I mean, obviously, you could have went to college and, and played your own way. Was that, that was never, never an never, it never, It never crossed my mind. I, I decided when I was 11 years old watching Notre Dame football on, on NBC that I'm playing college football. I said, I, I don't care. I'm playing college football. And so when I was being recruited by the baseball team, I said, I want to be a baseball player, but I need to play college football. And so everybody knew the deal. The, the, the football teams knew I was playing minor league baseball. All the baseball teams knew I was playing college football. You recruited Stanford, Cal, uh, Cal, Texas. What made you choose the University of Texas? Texas And uh, Priest Home, one of my former teammates, was your host. So what led you to go, uh, a Cali kid, going to <laughs> Texas? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I made a list. I was one of the, the, you know, most highly recruited players in the nation that year. And so I made a list of what I, what I want out of the college experience. And one, I wanted to start as a freshman. You know, that, that, was, a, that was a must. Um, two, I wanted to go to a big program where people could see me on national television. Three, okay. I wanted to go to a place that had a, a strong education. Four, I needed to have a relationship with the, with the head coach. Uh, and five, I was looking for a program that was right on the verge of being great again. And I wanted right. to be that missing piece. And so it was interesting. I, I ended up taking my trip to USC because they were probably, they were like number one on my list. Texas was two. So I took my trip to USC and my trip to Texas, like back-to-back -back days. So I got to compare both. And I went to USC and it was just all right. You know, the team kind of felt fractured. They kind of talked trash about each other. One of the dudes even told me, don't come here. We got too many running backs. I love, I love Coach Robinson. I love Coach Robinson. It was a program, a big program. It was on the verge. So it had all those pieces except for it didn't have that family feel. Right. Went to Texas. I, I, I you know, talking talk to Coach John McAvee, talking about how he's going to use me as a fullback. I believed him, and I, I respected his offensive mind. Hung around the team, and the guys felt like a family. You know, there was one instance on the recruiting trip 
where where um, Lavelle Pinkney, our big receiver, right. um, and and one of the backup running backs, like you know, went th- throwing hands, and Lavelle like tagged him like three times. I was like, damn. But half and you an like, I want to come here. <laughs> half an hour. And here's what. Half an hour later, we're all back in the room, like kicking it, right? To see that they could it could intensify like that, and they could squash them and be family again. So to me, that that spoke volumes to me. Um, so it just Texas checked off all my boxes. Because you know USC at that time was running back you. They had all the Heisman Trophy winning running backs. And it started, you know, uh, Garrett and OJ and Marcus Allen and Charles White. And Charles so- White was a running back coach. He was a running back coach too. And I I, I love I love Charles. And again, everything was there except I just didn't feel good being around the guys on the team. And to me, I need to feel like family. I need to feel like family. Right. So was it difficult for you to uh, juggle playing minor league baseball and co- collegiate football? It was awesome because I got to get out of summer workouts in 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 baseball. I would drop twenty pounds and be really really come back super fast, and so it was great. It was and I you know I, I need variety in my life and, and minor league baseball is hard. It's really really hard, but it kept me sharp and it kept me in shape. Your junior year, the Heisman Trophy finalists was Randy Moss, Peyton Manning, Charles Charles Woodson, and did you actually did you think you had a chance to to win the I award? Mean, I think if you lead the nation in rushing and scoring, you should at least, you should have a chance. You should be up for the Heisman. Right. But we were four and seven, and you know our, the team the team didn't play well, and so I, I think I was fifth that year. You broke uh, Earl Campbell's, who the Tyler Rose. You broke his record: eighteen hundred ninety-three yards, twenty-five touchdowns, six two hundred-yard games. He's walked in Texas. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you play the running back position. I mean, you yeah. play the running back position, and you go to the University of Texas. That's who you're measured against. Yeah. You know, you, so this this speaks to it. So true story. Okay, I was at USC and they had this this fancy trophy room with all the Heisman trophies. Yep. Okay, and and I, I was at USC on my recruiting trip and I walked into their room and it was cool, right? It didn't. It was just cool, right? That's cool. Texas, right? They had Earl's Heisman trophy in this dusty like glass like case <laughs> that was kind of hidden away. And I remember I like I walked out of the door and I looked at it and it was like you know I could hear the the angels singing. And it was like the, the message I got was if you come here, you can get one of these. Yeah. And so that that connection to Earl and and they showed me Earl Campbell highlights on my recruiting trip. They took me to go meet him. And so you know we we started to create that bond. Um, you know I was christened by by Earl very very early on. And, did he, and did I, he serve you anything? I could uh, sausage. Yeah. Yes. 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 I mean I I love Earl. He, he, I mean he's. He's, he, I mean, he's been he, so, he, like, so good to me. He, he really had my back through everything. Right. I see him when I go back to the hall, I used to see him all the time. You go back for your senior year. So what were your expectations? Obviously, you want to come back, um, possibly win the Heisman, maybe being, have the team in contention to win a national championship. So what was your thought process? Because there was a lot on the line, Ricky. You could get yeah, hurt, I, and then all of a sudden. So, so like I said, like I said, when I, when I, you know, as a kid, I said, I want to play college football. And right. of course, when I was a junior and I led, you know, then I started to kind of listen to all the talk, agents reaching out, you know, then I, and then I, one day I was in my uh, SID in the sports information director's office and, right. and he had the college football almanac on his desk. And so I, I just was flipping through it and I kind of flipped to the all-time leading rushing stats. And I looked and I was like, if I have a similar year to what I had this year, I could be the all-time leading rusher. And I was like, hmm. And I flipped a couple more pages to the all-time touchdown lead, all-time scoring year. And I was like, if I have a similar year that I had last year, I could break this record too. Huh. And then I flipped to all-purpose yards. And I was like, 
if I have a similar year to what I had last year, <laughs> I can break this record too. And I was like, if I break all these records, there's no way I'm not going to win the Heisman. And so in that moment, I said, I'm coming back. And the expectation was to break all three of those records and to win the Heisman. And you did it. And I did it. Because <laughs> you're seeing your 2,100, over 2,100 yards, 27 touchdowns, school record, set 21 NCAA record, received 85% of the, the votes, the highest at that time, unanimous All-American, first ever AP National Player of the Year. So you feeling good. You're like, okay, I did what I said I was going to do. Now I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to be, at, like you said, you thought you were going to be a top three, at least at the bare minimum, top three. I, I mean, I, I was really thinking Cleveland Browns coming back, an expansion team. Of course, Dog Pound needs a big running back. I, right. I thought for sure. I thought for sure I was going to Cleveland. Ricky, when you look at it, when you look back, you and Earl, you won the Heisman. So when they think of running backs, now every running back that comes in, they get compared to Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams. You have the field name, Earl Campbell, Ricky Williams field. What does that make? I mean, when you go back, what does that make you feel like? That they think that much and they thought that much of you. It says, this guy is so special to us. We don't want anybody to ever remember that he was here and what he did for this university. Yeah, I mean, I first got that when they erected this uh, statue uh, back in 2012, this feeling of, and it was, it was like, it was a healing moment for me because of all the ups and downs I went through and, and you know, the hits to my reputation to, to come back to Texas and see they still thought enough of me to erect a, a statue and then to put my name on the field. Uh, it just speaks to, back to that question of when I was making a decision of where to go to school. You know, I felt that this is the place I could go where, where people were going to appreciate me. And, uh, and it speaks to that. And, you know, I'm, I'm flying, to, um, flying to Austin this, this week and I'm going to meet with the athletic director and we're going to talk about how I can be more involved in the program. And so it, it's, it, feels it feels really good to know that no matter what happens in my life, I always have a home in Austin, Texas. I'm looking at that 1990, looking at that draft and Tim Couch was one, Donovan McNabb was two, Akili Smith was three, Edwin James four, you're five. But also in that draft, Torrey Holt, Champ Bailey, David Champ Baldwin, Bailey. Dante, yeah, Dante Culpepper, Antoine Winfield Sr., whose son Junior just won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So yeah. while, while you look at it, Tim Couch didn't live up to expectations. Donovan McNabb had a great career. Achilles Smith flamed out. Edron James, Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Uh, Rick, yourself. What does that mean? You guys had a nice little draft there. Torrey Holtz was on Torrey Holt was on the ballot this year. Eventually, probably within the next year or two, going to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Champs in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's it's kind of that thing where you come you come out together, and so you know, start started my junior year doing the award circuit and getting getting to know kind of you know the the superstars of, of right. my era, and then to to go into the draft and again sharing that experience with each other, and then sharing our careers with each other. It, you know, it feels like like brothers going into to the Hall of Fame, especially Edrick. You know, um, we came out the same year. You know, he was the first back, I was the second back, and, and just watching what he was able to do, especially the first couple of years of his career playing in, in, in Indianapolis. And I often think, you know, what if what if the Colts would have drafted me instead, and I got to play alongside Peyton Manning? You think you think your career would have been different? Uh, I mean. <laughs> I, my, my quarterback my rookie year with two guys named Billy Joe. <laughs> but, hold on, but, but hold on, but hold on, now, Rick. Hold on, Rick. Hold on, now, Rick. There's a little thing. There's this. There's this plant that was that was that was starting to be involved in your life. So how's yes. that? How's that going to play out? 
What do you mean? The plant. The plant. What do you mean? How's it gonna play out? I'd have been good. At, I'd have. I'd have been good at Indy. I'm saying I understand you would have been good, but how does that weigh in with the drug test? You know they tested. Like you said, like so we we what we what we so if I I mean we can tell the story a lot of different ways, but the way I'll tell it. Okay. Let's say I go to I go let's say let's say I go to Indianapolis. Uh, first of all, I don't know like because it's the same time. I don't know when the drug test comes, and if I was right. playing well behind paid man, I'm not getting traded and being in that situation. So that, right. that's that's one way to tell the story but but i'm not even trying to say i'm not even trying to say i wish my career would have been different i'm just being hypothetical like right. I, you know like yeah it would be nice it'd be nice if i was remembered for the way i played football and not for for the cannabis stuff but i feel good about my career i mean i know everyone that i played with has respect for me i know that i enjoyed myself i know that i was able to to, to create a better life for my family and I was able to do all this other shit. So I feel, I, honestly, I feel good about what, where I left things. Uh, explain to me the, the cover of ESPN, the magazine. You did the story. Obviously, Mike Dicker was the head coach. He traded an entire draft to move up to select you with the fifth pick in the draft. And you put a, 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 a wedding dress on. We're, we're, obviously, I mean, the, thing, the first thing that comes to mind is Dennis Rodman. Yes. Was, was that uh was that one of your heroes? Was he did he inspire you to do this? I mean uh not not directly. I mean it's, it's interesting that right around the same time that I did that, I, I met Dennis for the first time. We actually oh. you know hung out. We actually hung out, but I, I didn't make the connection until right now. So so Dan Levitard, who um who at the time writing for the Miami Herald, uh, also writing for ESP in the magazine. Came out uh, and we became friends. He did a story on me before I won the Heisman. So we, we became friends, and he said, "You know, ESPN the magazine wants to do a story on you and Ditka, and they and they want to put you on the cover." So you know, he said, "We're throwing around different ideas on you know what you can wear." And so this went on for like a month and a half, and these different ideas, and we we're like, right. "No, no." And then it was just kind of like, "Let's just do this." And he said, "Well, the the newest idea is that since you guys are you know linked, that we do you know you in a wedding dress and him in a tuxedo." Right. And when he said it, I started laughing, you know, because I, I thought it was funny. And so my response was like, yeah, that's, let's do it. That's funny. And and then when I got to the photo shoot and I was putting on this wedding dress, I started to think like, <laughs> what's going on? What did I, what did I get myself into? Yeah. And then after after the photo shoot, I was in the limo with Coach Dicka. We were driving back to the facility and he, and he had a cigar in his hand. He looked at me and he was like, I don't know what they had to tell you to get you to put that wedding dress on, but I never would have done that. And I looked at him and I said, why didn't you tell me that before? <laughs> <laughs> so he tell you after the fact, oh, I would have never done that. Exactly. And for me, I just thought it was funny. You know, I, right. I, I didn't even think of that, how people would take it. But I still think, I mean, I still think it's funny. It just was right. interesting how, you know, people gave me a hard time about it. Right. Because the uh, the, ti the, uh, the title, for better or for worse, because that's what kind of like a, a marriage is. Richness and Hitler, rich, uh, in richness and poor, and sickness and in health. So basically, you and Coach Dicker was joined, no matter what, for better or for worse. You and Coach Dicker was gonna be linked forever. And and again, I got hurt, didn't play well, and he was fired for, <laughs> right after the end of the season. So it was real. So let me ask you a question: your, your your career in New Orleans, are you upset that it didn't go quite the way you anticipated, or is there something you wish you could have done differently? Aside, obviously, you don't want to get hurt, but what could you have done differently? Um, you know, I, 
I think I could have found uh, mentors. You know, I, I think I, when I look back, what I didn't have was was good mentorship. You know, someone that had been there and just it just kind of guided me a little bit. So one thing I, I you know when I went to New Orleans, I got a place way out in the suburbs. You know, until I kind of was isolated. I think yeah. I would have I would have got like I would have done I would have just approached it differently. You know, right. I just would approach it differently. You stay in New Orleans. You get traded to the Dolphins. You rush for over 1,800 yards, 16 touchdowns, both still Dolphins record, Pro Bowl, the first team All-Pro, 10 games of 100 yards. So your career gets off in Miami to a roaring start. And what happened <laughs> after that? <laughs> so... So in 2000, so 2002, lead the, lead the NFL in Russia. And, and I had a track record my whole entire life, you know, at every level. I, I constantly, like, improved and got better. And right. so in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, after this year, I'm thinking, okay, 2002, 1,800 yards, two, you know, 2003, that means 2,000 yards. You know, right. I'm, ba I'm, back, I'm back in that mode. And, and, you know, I get in the best shape of my life, best shape of my life. And, and we start the season and <laughs> – it just seemed like I, it was me against 11 other people. And yeah. so I remember we played, we played Buffalo in week two. I mean, I carried the ball 42 times. And then it got to the point where, uh, you know, our, our, and he admits it now, Coach Wamsett said, you know, I got to the point where I didn't believe in our passing game. I just believed in defense. And so we just are going to play defense and just hand you the ball. And so, you know, that's what we did. And I just got, I just got beat up and I just got beat up and I just got beat up and wasn't able to put up the same kind of numbers. After three years in Miami, you're the bell cow back. You walk away from it. Um, numerous failed drug tests. At the age of 27, you say, forget, bump this. I'm out. What was yeah. your thought, press, thought process behind that decision? Well, it was, it was, I mean, part of it was a thought process. And I think it started with the thought process. But part of it was just noticing signs and, and signals in my life, you know? So, so after that, you know, 2003 season, you know, I had surgery on my shoulders in the off season, and and I started to think, okay, I started to do the math here. Okay, if we if this keeps on going, I'm not going to be able actually to make it very much longer. And I've been in, in talks with the Dolphins about renegotiating my contract, and so we went to the Dolphins, and I said, you know, I can tell if you guys don't do something and you just keep feeding me the ball, like this is not going to last. You guys need to take care of me, and you know. And we started going back and forth. And I think one thing, I was really disrespected by it. You're going to give me the ball all this time. And then when I try to say, take care of me, you're going to do this. And so that was part of it. The other part at the same time, Norv Turner was offensive coordinator. I love Norv Turner as an offensive run schemer. I mean, he's, he, he can call an offensive run game. He, he got the head coaching job at Oakland. And my position coach, Joe Collier, became the offensive coordinator. And so I, I was feeling good about this, you know? But still, we didn't have a quarterback yet. And so I was like, okay, we need to do something to make sure I'm not taking, taking you know, the beating. And Joel and, and the offensive staff, they kind of get into a fight. And Joel says, fuck this, I'm not being the offensive coordinator. And then they promoted the tight ends coach, who had never been an offensive coordinator, to the offensive coordinator position. And so I'm thinking, um, the contract negotiations, I feel disrespected. I can tell this season is going to come down to me getting the ball every play. And then and all this drug test shit I was like it's just it just all the signs were saying I need to be doing something else right now right and in the meantime another thing in the meantime between between our OTAs and and uh and training camp 
uh, one of my good friends was Lenny Kravitz's personal assistant, and they were they were in on tour in Europe, and we uh -oh. had that time off, and she and she and she was like, "Why don't you come hang out with us before training camp?" And I was like, oh, "I can I can work out in the hotels, you know, I, I can stay in shape." So I got on the plane and went there, and then just being in another country and just living like that. When I came back and started thinking about training camp, I just was like, "I don't got I don't got it in me. <laughs> I don't got it in me." And so that was it. That was so that was the thought process. You got on a plane, you flew to watch Lenny Kravitz tour through Europe. It was time for you to get back on a plane. You come, did you did you come back? You come back and started thinking, man, it's hot as hell. Well, it got worse. So I came back. Actually, I came back, and then I and then I, I became good friends with um, Bob Marley's brother Richie. So okay. I came back for a day, and Richie was like, "Hey, let's go to Jamaica since you have some time off." So I grew up a huge Bob Marley fan, and so we flew. Um, we flew to Jamaica and I went to where Bob, the Bob's hometown where he grew up. And it just was a, like a spiritual experience for me. And then from there, I, I flew to the Bahamas to, to meet one of my good friends in the Texas alum and we hung out. And I just started thinking like, this kind of feels better than going back and, and, getting broke <laughs> and going up through training no and, and getting broke up for, for no more money. So it, just, it, just, it just made sense to me like, okay, it's time for me to do something different. You heard, look, you heard what was said when people would call you crazy and tell my man, he crazy, he a pothead, he, he did yada, yada, yada. Did that affect you? You know, I, I think I was smart enough that, that when I, again, when I retired, it was that feeling of what it felt like when I was traveling. So as soon as I was free, I, I started traveling again. I went back to that feeling. As I was traveling, I wasn't watching the news and this was before, you know, Twitter and all this stuff. So. I, it didn't exist for me, you know? I mean, I would talk to my agent and, and I'd talk to my girl sometimes and they would be worried and stressed about things. But I was feeling so like alive and free. Really, I'm telling you, I with that moment where I called Dr. Brown and I said, I'm through, I felt like this huge weight lifted off my shoulders. And, and I just felt free for the first time in a long time. So I didn't really care what anybody was thinking because I was feeling good. And, you know, as I kind of started to, to to like get free, I started to realize, okay, you know, that I do have to finish living my life. And so I started to make a plan of, okay, how am I gonna, how am I gonna get on with things? So when you, when you, when you take that time off, did you have a re-entry plan or did you just like, okay, I'm gonna stay here. And like you said, you, uh, you're an energy type of guy, you're a field type of guy. You said you left the NFL because it didn't feel right. Now you're in this situation because it feels right. So what was your re-entry? Are you just going to travel Australia, live in a $7 a day tent, you know, smoke a little bit, have a good time? <laughs> but I mean, like, like it's smoke. It's not, I mean, it is a good time, but what I consider a good time is sitting in my tent reading a book, okay? Right. And that's, that, that's what I do when I smoke. Damn, Rick, so, you can read right here in the States, too. You know, you can read in the apartment, too, with life. It, so. was different. it was different reading with people when people don't know who I am, and I, I got to be more of myself. You know, I, I, again, for me, I needed that. And so, okay. <laughs> and so I did, I, I mean, you're right on it. I really was trusting the way I felt. And the way I felt at one time was I don't ever need to come back, you know? And so it's a funny story. I was, I was met this dude in the swamp in, in Australia, and we decided we were going to go to the Himalayas. <laughs> And so we were on our way, we were on our way to the So you just to spur the moment. You just about to fly by the seat of your pants type of guy. Oh, let's go there. Okay, fine. Sure, let's do that. Uh, I'm thinking about going over here. Yeah, let's do that too. 
I mean, if you if I had the bunnies, I mean, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly, how, that's exactly how, how I was living. And, and, and so I was, we were on our way, we were on our way to the Himalayas. We stopped over in, in Thailand for a couple of days. And and on the day we were supposed to go to the Himalayas, I was sitting in this little hostel hotel thing in, in this little town in Thailand, okay, random. And this little dude walks in front of me and he turns on the TV in the lobby and it's the, the Raiders are playing the Buccaneers. And I'm thinking, how the hell, how the hell is a football, like I, I try to get away, I try to get away from this shit at the corner of the globe and it comes right here. And I right. took that as a sign, I got on the phone. And so that was my first re-entry back into America. I got on the phone and I, I told my agent, hey, give me the next flight from Bangkok back to LA. And then I flew back and I went, you so close. I, I, I came back later. I made it a couple of years later. But this okay. trip, I, I was so I was so close. I mean, <laughs> but I'm telling you, if I would have gone to the Himalayas, I would, we would not be we would not be talking right now. I, I'd be gone somewhere. So during that time, you're away from the NFL. Give me a typical day for Ricky Williams. You would wake up at what time and do what, and then move forward. Yeah, so probably, so I was I was sleeping outside and I was in nature and I was finding even the, the sun was going down at six o'clock. I wanted to go to bed at six. So I was waking up at five o'clock in the morning with the birds. And I usually get up and uh, I would take a walk. I would take a walk down to meet to meet Swamp Guide, to meet my friend Steven. And then we would walk into town and we would get we would get the food for the day. And then we we walk back to, to the hostel, the campground where I was staying and we would talk and I would read. And that, that's really, that was my day. It was really a lot of reading. Again, I, I was reading the Bible. I was just really getting into opening my mind. You returned in 2005. You played for Coach Saban. How was it playing for Coach Saban? What was he, what was he like? Because we know the success that he's had at the University of Alabama. We know the success he had as a college coach. But for whatever reason, he wasn't able to parlay that success until NFL success. What was he like? So, you know, I played with him one year before before I got suspended. And I loved playing for Coach Saban. You know, I, I loved it because he was one of those coaches where you know you knew what the standard was. And if you met the standard, you were good. If you didn't, he was going to be on you. And he had this thing called the Tiger Board. And at first, you know, we thought, this is college bullshit. But it was a board right when you walk into the, the team meeting room. And basically, it was, did you play hard? That was basically what it was. So when you start, it became this thing where you walked in on, on Monday, and you just want to make sure that you're on the tiger board. And so it, it created where everyone was just playing hard. And we got off to a rough start, but we ended the season winning six games in a row. And we beat a playoff bound Charger team. We beat a, a playoff bound Patriots team. So, so, and then that next year, um, you know, I wasn't on the team. And so I don't really even know what, what happened. But right. my experience with Nick Saban is I, I love him and I would play for him any day. Again, because he set the standard and it was all about show up, you know, get better, make plays. You mentioned the following year, 2006, you were suspended again, finally, you, you failed a drug test. So at that point, did you think your career was over? I did. I, I, I did think my career was over. Um, and for me, the, the question I, I had was, you know, what, what next? Um, they sent me to Boston uh, and I met this doctor, Dr. Gunderson, and it was for part of my psyche valve. And we just had a really connect, uh, deep connection and as I was talking to him, I was realizing, you know, maybe there's some stuff about myself that I'm not aware of that keeps getting me in these kinds of situations. Right. And so I decided to move to Boston for six months. And I spoke to Dr. Gunderson five days a week, six months. 
and I also did groups. And so I really did this deep immersion, uh, really attending to, to my mental health. And uh, what I got out of it was clarity. And what I realized is, you know, football had got me to this point, but what I really want to be doing with my life is closer to what Dr. Gunderson was doing and really helping people find themselves. And that really got my mind like straight about, you know, my purpose in life and what I'm here to do. And that really set me on, on the road that I'm on to now. I know you got to go, Ricky. Uh, you finished with the Ravens. You have a great season. When did you know you were going to walk away and that this was it? I'm walking away this time, but I'm not coming back. So, you know, th that year with the Ravens, it was nice. You know, we, we were this close from going to the Super Bowl. And, and I really loved that organization. I love playing with Ed Reed and Ray Wright and uh, Ray Lewis. But I didn't get it. I didn't. We got along on the outside, but I, I had some issues like with Ray Rice a little bit, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, like it just felt like it was like this. I was used to splitting time with Ronnie Brown and me and Ronnie were like tight and, and we, right. we competed with each other. We wanted to see each other succeed. But with Ray, it felt like this weird kind of competition. And so it was this game plan, you know, and, and it just didn't, it just didn't feel good. And it was kind of one of those things, you know, if something doesn't feel good to me, I'm not going to keep coming back and, and doing right. it. And so I started thinking about and, it didn't you know, feel like a partnership. Season. It felt like you it didn't know. feel like yeah, it was like, you know, he would like stand and then and then at the end of the game he'd be like, go take your glasses. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> no, no. You know, and so and so at the end of that year I had a choice to make. And really after being that close to the Super Bowl, I, I was like, I was fired up and you know, come thinking I'm gonna get in the best shape of my life again. I'm gonna finish my career. I could probably play another two or three years in the system, you know, I had my mind right and then I had a text message from uh, Bill Parcells. And, you know, I, I kind of was like, I thought he would be like, yeah, go for it. And his response when I, when I shared my excitement was, don't chase this thing too long. You, you know, you can, you can contribute in other ways. And that kind of, it hit me like a, like a brick. And it got me starting, starting to think about things. That's not what you wanted and to hear, was it? That, that's, not, that's not what I wanted to hear. It's not what I expected to hear. But it, 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 it woke me up. It definitely woke me up. And within a week, I called Coach Harbaugh and said, um, you know, thank you for this opportunity, but uh, I think I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to move on and do something different. Ricky, you seem, you seem now um, at peace with your life, with how your life turned out. You did what you wanted to do. You played in the NFL. You rushed for over 10,000 yards. You've had success, but you seem at peace. You seem more at peace with your life now than I'm, I don't, I'm not so sure that you were ever at peace with the NFL like you are with your life now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I think towards my, my second stint in, in Miami, I, I really found a sweet spot where, where I've been through the ups and downs with the fans and the, and the team, and they had accepted me and I was being more myself. I felt like I found a sweet spot in, at the end of my career in Miami. But, but definitely, I think the fact that I, I started building my, my life after football while I was still playing, I think of that first retirement was like my dry run where I got to find out what I was truly passionate about. And I started doing those things in the off season and in my off time. And so when I retired that second time, I was ready. You know, I had built a container of a, of a new life for myself. And, and I just continued to, to stay on that track. And, and I do feel, I do feel great for where I am in, in my life right now. And I feel very fortunate for my experiences. And then I get opportunities to have conversations. I mean, again, one of my, one of my heroes is, and I didn't ever, I, I don't mean this in the wrong, I didn't appreciate it. Like, this was an amazing conversation, you know? And I feel very fortunate to be able to share this be able to share this time with you. I appreciate it. Let me ask you a question before we go. Did you have you did you ever play a, a NFL game high? 
No. Because Marshawn Lynch says, you know, he had to take him a shot of yak before he hit the field, and then he knew everything going to be okay. But you never played a game high. I never even practiced high. I was more just after work, just let go of it all. You can press, know, stress. Yeah, yeah. Let it go, get up and do it again. That was, that was my thing. So as one of the, the best, the, uh, have, the, have you spoken to the NFL? Because you see, you see now they've relaxed some of the standards. Uh, the, the amount of nanograms that, that's in your system now is not the same. You might have been able to be able to smoke and keep I would have. I would have been clean. I would have been clean. If, <laughs> if they had those same standards, we would not be talking about cannabis right now. <laughs> I would simply be pretending I never spoke. So. And, and guess what? You would, not, you would not be the yogi. You would not be the, the, the astrologer that you are right now. So it's as true. you said, a lot of things happen for a lot of reasons. And it put you on a path to where you are now that had the 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 the, the testing been what it is now, there's no I way this I wouldn't be me. Exactly. I'd be a different Ricky Williams. Yes. Ricky, I appreciate it, bro. I appreciate you coming on. All the best in your life. Your podcast continued success, bro. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Shannon. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why All my life, I've been grinding all my life, yeah All my life, been grinding all my life Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why All my life, I've been grinding all my life Right here, right now Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.